Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In the middle of March, while those of us who are lucky to have cause for celebration were settling into St. Patrick's Day with a well-pooled Guinness or two, 800 not-so-jubilant P&O workers were gripped by their screens, processing an all-staff video call. The company has made the decision that its vessels going forward will be primarily crewed by a third-party crew provider. P&O Chief Executive Peter Hebblethwaite had decided, due to a difficult pandemic, the only way the company is to survive is with a huge staff clear-out. But the move has not gone over well. Workers are now left wondering how on earth they will put food on their family's table. And the management did not even have the decency to tell them face-to-face. This whole situation just you know, ripped the heart out of me, the industry. I mean, at the moment, it just feels you know, you're just numb, shocked. And to be honest, it feels almost like a bereavement. Yesterday, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps took to the floor of the House of Commons to say enough is enough. P&O Ferries has left the government with no choice. I am today announcing a package of nine measures that will force them to fundamentally rethink their decision. What will become of the shipping firm with such rich and familiar heritage? Has its apparent disregard for UK law plotted its course for good? And what other challenges lurk over the horizon? You cannot allow a famous name, an iconic company like P&O, to behave like this in modern Britain. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald. Today, P&O Ferries, Lost at Sea. When Ben Clatworthy, who's the transport correspondent for The Times, got into the office on Thursday morning, the 17th of March, he really had no idea what kind of day was in store for him. It was a strange day. It was a Thursday. And I got a message from the news desk saying, have you seen that P&O ferries have said that they're suspending all of their sailings? And I said, no, I haven't, actually. That's really weird. My initial feeling was, well, presumably they're going into liquidation and and that's it. 
all the P&O statement had said is that we are suspending our sailings ahead of a major company announcement. Now, obviously, P&O weren't answering their phones at all, but I managed to get an idea of a couple of people that I spoke to. And one of those people who's a member of parliament said to me, well, yes, actually, they're going to fire all of their UK-based seafarers and replace them with agency workers. thought this this all sounds far-fetched and, and possibly a little bit wide of the mark but I managed to stand it up with two other sources so I speedily wrote it up for the website and indeed within about 45 minutes of that I got the first message actually from someone at P&O Ferries an employee there who said yes this is what's happening we are being called to a all company or an all crew Microsoft Teams meeting which has now become rather infamous as the possibly one of the most brutal ways to fire your staff without any notice. talking about I think is important here. So there's a few kind of people or companies or groups that we will refer to throughout this episode and I think it's just worth clarifying who they are. So P&O Ferries is the first one. Just tell us who are we dealing with when we talk about P&O Ferries. So it's P&O Ferries that are at the heart of today's story. They are a ferry company that operate passenger and freight services, primarily between Dover and Calais, but also Hull and Rotterdam, Liverpool, Dublin, Ken Ryan and Larne in Northern Ireland. They are owned by a company called DP World, who are based in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai. We'll come on to them later, but ultimately they are owned by the state of Dubai. So they are the, at the absolute centre of it. Uh, and so the, uh, one of the important distinctions we want to make is that P&O ferries are different to P&O cruisers. Yes, so P&O Cruises are owned by Carnival Corporation, which is a Miami-based cruise line. They are, despite having the name P&O, are completely separate and have been for 20 years. Now, they've had a lot of upsetting for them social media and calls for boycotts in the last week. In this story, they've done absolutely nothing wrong, but we will shorten P&O Ferries to P&O at some point, but we mean the ferry company throughout, not the cruise line. Understood and very helpful. Uh, right, let's continue by talking about the Microsoft Teams meeting that you referenced, the infamous meeting. Take us into that meeting. I am doing this scripted, which is my normal style. So what happened was P&O's staff who were not working were summoned to these Microsoft Teams meetings. So please accept my apologies for the rather stilted style in which I'm doing that. Now, the way the business worked was that half the crew would be on board ferries at a time. Now, all the ferries had been told to moor up and remain in port pending this major company announcement. Those workers were told on board in person. And just to make sure the message got across, P&O Ferry sent highly trained security guards. At home, and in an almost even more excruciating position, were these crew members who 
dialed in to this Microsoft Teams meeting to be met by one of the bosses of P&O Ferries reading a statement that can only be said was read in a sort of chillingly disinterested manner. The company has made the decision that its vessels going forward will be primarily crewed by a third-party crew provider. Therefore, I am sorry to inform you that this means your employment is terminated with immediate effect on the grounds of redundancy. Your final day of employment is today. It is shocking. It was shocking to read that that was what had happened. And then the footage emerged. And it is, as you described, chilling, actually, to see it happening in what feels like an inhumane manner. How did you feel when you saw the kind of coldness with which this huge news story was unfolding? I have to say, I was I was gobsmacked that that's how they'd gone about it. And then other people started telling me that there were these security guards, that people on board P&O ships were being told to put their belongings into black bin liners, that they were being told that they had sort of 15 minutes to leave. And for these crew members, the ships were not only their place of work, but they were also their homes for the times that they were on board working. The way as that day went on that we got more of a picture of what was going on here was all those things that I'd been told right at the start that I was a bit nervous about reporting because it all sounded too far-fetched actually turned out to be just the tip of the iceberg. And then later, as the hours rolled on, you started to think, well, how have they managed to go about doing this? How have they pulled this off without anybody seemingly knowing what was going to happen and that within five hours of us knowing 800 people had been told that they were being made redundant. So how did they pull it off? You mentioned before that you'd spoken to an MP who seemed to have a bit of an inkling of what was happening. Who knew what in in advance of this? How did this happen? Well, not many people knew much about it at all and subsequently the secrecy sort of emerged It all starts really, as far as I can make out, in 2019, P&O re-registered, re-flagged their ships primarily to Cyprus. They therefore were no longer required to have any discussion with the British government about this. And my understanding is that the night before, the very night before, on the Wednesday evening, uh, a memo was sent to some officials within the Department for Transport That memo was circulated, but not widely. But also, what we did know and what Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, knew was that P&O had gone through rounds of redundancy during the pandemic. In fact, larger rounds of redundancy. So while he was obviously not best pleased that this was happening... The crucial difference was in the past, when P&O have done it, they've acted as the government would expect in the way that they consult and so on. So he wasn't majorly concerned in terms of what we now know was not following any employment laws. But basically, they managed, because of the way they'd set up their business, to conceal that they were actually cooking up this plan without anyone, and most surprisingly, without the unions getting uh, a whiff of it. 
You mentioned that the company was structured in terms of really trying to conceal this. Is that simply in the way that they were flagging their ships in other countries who would perhaps be less outraged than the UK, for example? Is it as simple as that? What does that sort of structuring and concealing really mean? It's extremely complicated. We have maritime law at play here, but also the fact that because maritime law is so complicated, you can actually get away with quite a lot. These 800 workers were employed on contracts through Jersey. The ships they were working on were all flagged under flags of convenience, so largely in in Cyprus, but also a couple of other countries as well. What crucially happened, though, is that in 2018, the 1992 employment legislation changed. At some point along the way, the criminal element was removed from that law, the 1992 employment law. Mm. And what that has allowed is the government lost its ability to find ways of making criminal prosecutions under that law, that those have gone. The Prime Minister stood in the House of Commons and said that the government is taking legal action against the company under 1992 employment legislation, adding that this is the right thing to do because it seems to me that they have broken the law. Under Section 194 of the Trades Union and Labour Relations Act of 1992, it looks to me, Mr Speaker, as though the company concerned has broken the law. Uh, And if the company is found guilty... Uh, then they face fines running into millions of pounds, Mr Speaker. Now, I got onto the phone very shortly after that and started saying to people, well, hang on, are we certain that this is correct? What law have they broken? The people I spoke to very quickly started to distance themselves from those comments because I think in those days it started to unravel within Whitehall that actually it wasn't anywhere near as clear-cut as it might have seemingly been. What they have broken is employment law because they didn't consult. They, they did not tell their unions what they were planning to do. Their excuse is that no union would ever agree to of their plan, so therefore they decided not to do it, which is a laughable excuse, but is the excuse that P&O are, are peddling. And what we saw was that language starting to change in the week afterwards. The talk of unlimited fines went, and then it became talk of closing loopholes and acting in a way that the government didn't feel was right, which is obviously very different to hauling someone in front of a criminal court Mm. and slapping them with a massive fine. Gosh. So then we get to the point where I can ask you whether it's fair to say really that P&O ferries in this circumstance, in the face of public backlash political backlash, whatever, that actually they've factored in, breaking a civil law in the interests of them making a business decision. I think that's absolutely what's happened. I think P&O probably spent an awful lot of time with their lawyers, an awful lot of time looking at how they could get away with doing this, and an awful lot of time thinking what was the most cost-effective way for them to carry out this brutal firing. And actually... The way the staff were treated was sickening. There's no Mm. two ways about that. The redundancy deals they've been offered are actually, if you're going to accept that you're losing your job, 
the redundancy deals they've offered are quite attractive. No employee, however short amount of time you've worked there, leaves with less than £15,000. Some people will get payouts as much as £170,000. What is very clear is that P&O Ferries knew that they weren't going to consult, knew that they had to make the deal attractive, and thought that the best way to get themselves out of trouble was to throw money at the situation. What I don't think they envisaged was that by the following Friday, the Prime Minister himself would be calling for the boss to resign and that the public anger would have become so intense. What do we want? Safe ships! When do we want it? Now! What do we want? Safe ships! When do we want it? Now! This is going to impact greatly on the wider community. It is wrong. It is a sin. Coming up, how the business at the heart of this story went from delivering mail across the old British Empire to sponsoring Formula One races and golf tournaments. But first... I'm Mariella Frostrup, and every day on my show on Times Radio, we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of the arts, culture and politics. We bring you discussions about new social trends and all the latest news, views and interviews. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
P&O Ferries Beginnings, where does it start? It's, it's a pretty old company. Back in the early 19th century, actually, it started out, and it, it's long named the Peninsula and Oriental Steam Navigation Company, was a, a British shipping and logistics company. It was sold to DP World in 2006 for £3.9 billion. Pounds. They continue to operate P&O Ferries, P&O Maritime and P&O Heritage. Predating that, in at the turn of the century, P&O Cruises was spun off and is operated, as I said earlier, by Carnival Corporation. But P&O Ferries has been around uh, officially since 2002. It was created through some mergers and acquisitions within P&O, and as I say, then has been owned by DP World since mm. uh, 2006. So DP World then, I think, is perhaps to consider as we kind of zoom out a little. What do we know about the company? What kind of company it is? Other things it's involved in? And it's, I suppose it's influence on P&O Ferries, how directly it, it manages and governs what happens there. So DP World is the multi-billion dollar ports and shipping empire that's controlled by the Emirates Sovereign Wealth Fund and ultimately its leader, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Mukhtam. He is ultimately in charge of the company, but then it has a chairman, Sultan Ahmed bin Salman. He, incidentally, is filed under UK's company house as just a businessman, whereas back home he is anything. But he is one of Muktaham's closest aides. He helped put Dubai onto the map by constructing the Palm, the artificial island, where he made a vast fortune. He owns a private island next to the Palm, where he's just opened a new multi-million pound luxury hotel in the style of a Maldives resort. However... The 66-year-old businessman is a shrewd operator. And ultimately, I think it's fair to say that while DP World insist that the decision was made by P&O's board of directors, I think everyone listening would be of the opinion that these decisions come right from the top. This was obviously signed off and approved by Dubai any suggestion that Dubai had no idea what was coming to the face of P&O Ferries is, is laughable in my mind. Yeah, and perhaps when we understand the reach of this company, we can start to understand how P&O Ferries and indeed DP World were able to do this uh, to fire 800 people. Absolutely. I mean, this is a company that sponsored F1 teams. They've spent £147 million recently sponsoring a golf tournament. A historic development in the world of golf. DP World and the European Tour are joining to drive golf further. Absolutely fantastic. Just this is a massive company mm. with pretty much unlimited funds, which is why I think they're very quick to palm this off as being entirely a P&O Ferries decision to hide the fact that actually back home they, they're rolling in, in money. Yeah. Let's put P&O Ferries then in, in its financial context. We've mentioned the rounds of redundancies during the pandemic. They did also take government support during the pandemic to keep people employed through the furlough scheme, etc. So there's the pandemic to consider at this point. And I suppose there's more predictable things like business competition. So in terms of P&O's financial context as a business, as we try to get to grips with this as a business decision, what can you tell us about that? 
Yes, they did have access to government loans during the pandemic. And they're also in for £50 million as one of the free ports. However, they have struggled. There has been competition, particularly from Irish ferries who have moved in on the Dover-Calais route. Their defence again in front of MPs was that had we not made these 800 people redundant, we would have been making a couple of thousand people redundant and it was the only way to hold on to the company. Now, obviously, MPs and, and critics say, well, that's all well and good, but you got, you should have gone about doing this in a way that was at least legal. Yeah. And obviously, while we've been into the complexities of what it was, what it wasn't was compliant with employment law. Ben, let us then talk about Transport Secretary Grant Shapps giving a, a prissy fiery rebuke, the latest, you could say actually, fiery rebuke to the P&O Ferries CEO Peter Hebblethwaite. So the latest from Shapps was in the Commons, but this builds on what happened at the Select Committee. First of all, I suppose, start with who Peter Hebblethwaite is and the, the ride that he was taken for at the Select Committee. Order, order. This is the um, Joint Select Committee meeting on P&O Ferries. So Peter Hebblesweight, the chief executive of P&O, has really been through the mill. Uh, Mr Hebblethwaite, um, when I was reading your biography, it seemed pretty light uh, on your experience as a chief executive officer. Are you in this mess because you don't know what you're doing, or are you just a shameless criminal? Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and answer questions. To be honest, it was quite a brazen performance by Hebel's weight. For understandable reasons, he was defending his company's position. There's absolutely no doubt that we were required to consult with the unions. We chose not to do that because we believe... You chose to break the law. Because we chose not to consult and we, will com- and we are and will compensate everybody in full for that. He was asked would he resign. He said no, he wouldn't. The long and the short of that was that the Transport Select Committee, they published recommendations, including him being struck off as a director. Grant Shapps wrote to Hebblesweight as well, offering him one last opportunity, one last chance to offer the 800 workers their jobs back. In his response, Hebblesweight says, unfortunately, this ignores the situation's fundamental and factual realities. Firstly, the circumstances which led to P&O Ferries to make this decision, but also complying with the request would deliberately cause the company's collapse, resulting in the loss of an additional 2,200 jobs. Now, the theme of Hebblesweight's letter back to Shapps is very much that the company have made this decision. It's a difficult decision, but it's irreversible. In Shapps's letter, he says that he believes that when he goes to Parliament, that the company will be left with little choice to reverse their decision. It's interesting in that letter that we've gone over the course of a week or so from Boris Johnson saying the company would face unlimited fines to Shap saying that he would be going to Parliament to ensure that seafarers are protected against the actions that P&O have taken in a way that the Parliament and government had already intended, which is very different to unlimited mm. fines. That's we're changing the law because it's not how we thought it was. <laughs> yes, that's right. I think that the kind of strength of the political theatre between um, primarily, I suppose, Shaps and Hebblethwaite in the last week or so has been really quite dramatic. And then we reach the House of Commons where Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, gave his update this week. Statement, Secretary of State for Transport. Yeah. Madam Deputy Speaker, P&O Ferries, 
failure to see reason, to recognise the public anger and to do the right thing by their staff has left the government with no choice. I am today announcing a package of nine measures that will force them to fundamentally rethink their decision. He appeared before MPs in the Commons with this package of nine measures. The first one being a change of the law so that seafarers have paid at least the minimum wage. HMRC will be dedicating significant resource to check that all UK ferry operators are compliant with the national minimum wage. No ifs, no buts. What Shaps was really trying to highlight was that this minimum wage requirement will stop P&O doing what their ultimate aim was, which was to pay workers on average £5.50 an hour for their work. Now, he's big point was that we are going to force you into a U-turn. Now, I don't know exactly what's going to happen yet, but they're not going to force them into a full U-turn. I can see no situation where P&O re-employ these workers, the very vast majority of whom who have now accepted the severance deals. The fact that P&O also say they welcome the minimum wage as long as it is a level playing field is telling as well. What it will do is mean that their employment costs are going to go up. They will not be able to run their business on quite the shoestring that they had intended, but we're talking a difference of a few pounds an hour. The RMT union have said that they would not agree to their members working for the minimum wage in what they call a skilled job. So while this package definitely changes the regulations, it's certainly not going to force this this wholesale U-turn that the government hope. I suppose, as a final thought then, where do you think all of this is heading? There, I mean, there are already political teething problems. There are practical teething problems in this new strategy from P&O Ferries as well. Uh, last weekend, the European Causeway, one of its ships, was detained because of safety issues with the new crew. It's not been a, a settled couple of weeks for P&O Ferries, and I wonder if that's going to calm down in the coming weeks. Well, the saga took another turn the other evening when the Pride of Kent was detained, also by the Maritime Agency for failing its inspection. Now P&O say that they're using harsher practices than they would normally. Sources tell me that their inspectors look at ships without fear or favour. But in terms of how it plays out, unfortunately, I see no situation where the 800 workers will get their jobs back. I think that, that for want of a better expression, that ship really has sailed. What I do think, though, is that the damage to P&O Ferry's brand is so great that will they end up suffering in the long run? Will they end up being forced to close because people boycott them? And the big question is really, is it will come down to price and how long the public's memory of this is. Everyone is starting to travel again now and with the cost of living spiralling, people will be looking at ways to do that affordably. But my point is if you are outraged now about the way that P&O have treated employees, then you will have to think twice and potentially pay a little bit more to travel an alternative way because otherwise really what we are going to see is they will hobble on but probably survive you've been listening to stories of our times 
a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald, and our guest today was the transport correspondent for The Times, Ben Clatworthy. Of course, you can find all of Ben's work at thetimes.co.uk as long as you've got a subscription to access, and you can hear him regularly on Times Radio as well. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel and Ollie Adamson. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Rob Cahoon. If you liked this episode, we would love it if you could rate it, five stars of course, and leave a little review with some of your comments as well, because that all helps others to find us too. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.